Some of you may be asking this morning, why isn't it Galatians? It's supposed to be Galatians, and it is, and that's true, but I just have to tell you what happened to me during the course of this week. In my, I'm reading through the Bible this year, and in the book of Numbers, and I uh, came upon uh, this story of Balaam. And I've just been asking God for clarity on some issues and uh, asking God to speak to me and guide my path along the way. And this was the, this was the reading for that morning. And I mean, it's a crazy story, isn't it? <laughs> and I just figured out, God, what in the world is this about? And you put it in front of me this morning for a purpose. Um, why? And what is it that you want to say to me? And as I wrestled through that and really feel like God shared some terrific things with me, I, I realized, you know what, I think this would be beneficial for us as a church family to know. And it's Seniors Sunday, and there's some themes here that are particularly important for seniors. In fact, I was sharing this with uh, one of our, uh, part of our church family who aren't able to be in church anymore just because of the uh, course of their life and the disability. And I, I just said to him, let me just share with you what we're talking about on Sunday. And I mentioned the questions that um, I would be asking that, that come out of the text. And, and one of them said to me, that is like perfect for Senior Sunday. And I said, that is so good for us. And I, I said, no, I mean seniors graduated from high school, not <laughs> seniors. <laughs> but she had a point. Uh, this is actually good for seniors. And for those of us in between those senior years, whatever they might be. So that's where we're going this morning. We'll get back to Galatians, but I just wanted to be here with you this morning on this because I've been learning some things that have been helpful for me, and I trust God will use it as we spend this time together. So would you pray with me? God, we do thank you for the ways you work in circumstances in our life and sometimes change things up, and I, I just trust that uh, you've been doing some things uh, in my life that will be beneficial to all of us and ask you to speak clearly through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I decided to give this a title, and if I could get a t give it a title, it would be titled, In Defense of Donkeys. <laughs> you know, I mean, donkeys, they always just, they're always the brunt of the jokes, right? And it happened before Shrek came along, and a donkey who I understand was named Donkey uh, was the brunt of all the jokes. And, you know, Eddie Murphy, I mean, he was just a really great character in Shrek. But it's like donkeys have always just kind of been the brunt of jokes. Everybody knows uh, a joke or a phrase, expression that has to do with uh, a donkey. And actually the reality is, is they're remarkable animals. They really are in their ability to bear loads and all sorts of other characteristics. And what's true is that history has a history of inappropriate ridicule of donkeys. And it, maybe it started with Balaam. Because Balaam is just all over this donkey and angry and beating him. Balaam was doing just that, ridiculing this donkey. And uh, this donkey ought to be defended. And we're not going to spend a lot of time defending the donkey this morning. But we are going to look at the story. In biblical narratives, the purpose oftentimes is to raise questions in our mind. What's that all about? And there's plenty of that in this story, isn't there? And so we look at the questions, we ask the questions, but beyond that, uh, the narratives are there so that we would understand the character of God. Oftentimes we quickly just jump to a moralistic thing, to don't be like a donkey or, or be like Balaam. And, 
And sometimes those have value, but deep in a text isn't just simply for us to emulate a person, but it's for us to understand the character of the God we follow. And so if we just kind of look at, well, should I be like this character, we really miss the characteristics of the God that we follow. And so we're going to ask some questions this morning as we look through this text. But primarily, we want to understand the nature of God, because that's why this book was written in the first place. I want to introduce you to those included in the account as we walk into it. The donkey's already been introduced, and the one thing to notice is the donkey and Balaam, they go way back, right? They've been, they've been together for quite some time, and we discover that. So there's the donkey, and there are also the Israelites, and we don't read much about them here, but we see it on either side of the text that we've read here. And the Israelites have left Egypt, and they're headed towards Palestine, and they're looking for a place to settle in. And on their way, God goes before them and provides for them and, and, and clears the way. And uh, the next king sees Israel coming and the devastation that's been done to the others along the way. The, the power of the nation Israel as they work through. And the king of Moab, Balak, is realizing they could just suck us dry from a resources perspective. And uh, we need to keep them away. So he had decided that uh, he needed to do something about it. So we have the Israelites on their way to settle in Palestine, but we also have King Balak, the king of Moab, um, on the route. His country is on the route of the Israelites, and he's feeling threatened. So there's the king and, and his entourage as well that go to Balaam. And then another character in the story is obviously is God, and we'll see him play parts over and over again in this text. And then another character in this story is Balaam. And Balaam is an interesting person. He's not a, an Israelite. He's not a Jew, but he's a prophet. And he has a strong reputation for being a prophet that is able to speak prophecies that have significance. This is not out of character with what happens in Scripture. We actually see this a number of times. Properly pronounced blessings and cursings were extremely effective in biblical teaching. We see it in Genesis 48. We see another example in the New Testament in Matthew, 20, Matthew 24, that, uh, 21, I mean. The, these, these blessings and cursings that aren't just mere opinions, but the utterances have dramatic impact. And uh, Balaam was one of those who, who did this. He was a prophet, and, but he was a prophet for a fee. And we see that in the text, that there was, there was money involved in it. This is the way he made his living. And we see over and over again in the story a focus on what Balaam would be able to gain over and over again. Even when we get to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, there's a reference to his interest and financial gain that would come with it, and status as well, if the king was going to give Balaam position. So there is, is Balaam there. It is amazing and unexpected that God would have a non-Jewish prophet. And this non-Jewish prophet actually becomes the very mission of one of the great messianic prophecies. We see that as we move on. He refers to the star of Jacob, which points us eventually to the coming of Christ at Christmas time that actually those prophecies came out of this story from a person who wasn't even an Israelite. 
But, it, but we see examples of that in Scripture. We see Melchizedek come out, out virtually out of nowhere. Where did this guy come from? We see the same thing happening with Jethro, and we see the same thing happening with Rahab. These people that are just scattered around, not part of the mainstream culture of followers of Yahweh, but they just pop up. And so here we see Balaam as one of those that pops up along the way. So we get into the story and we see, first of all, that a a donkey speaks. I mean, this is just like unbelievable, isn't it? So let's just clear this up right away, right? Do you remember, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and you see what God did there, do you know what he did? He made the world, right? I mean, he made the world. And you go to the New Testament and you see that Jesus, that God rose a dead person from the grave and, and, and we celebrated Easter. So here's my question for you. If he can make the world, do you think it's possible that he can have something that he made in the world speak when it's not normally supposed to? If he can raise somebody from the dead, do you think a speaking donkey is going to be a problem? So before we think, oh, this just can't possibly be the case, just turn back to Genesis chapter 1 and say, well, look at this, will you? Or go to the resurrection and see it all over again and say, you know, this is an easy one for God. To make a donkey speak, it is, it is not a big deal. But still, it's a surprise. But there's even a bigger surprise in this story, and it's one that's actually hard to understand. Because as we read, God goes to Balaam, it says in verse 20 of chapter 22, and he says, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but only do what I tell you. And then in, chapter, in verse 21, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went And you say, would you just make up your mind? Here you are, you're saying to Balaam, and he's wondering, just tell me what to do. And God says, I want you to go with him. And we turn around and the next morning, he's mad because he's going. And he puts an angel in front of him with a sword, stopping him three different times along the way. It's pretty tough to understand God in this story, isn't it? There are even scholars that have looked at it and tried to figure out, how do we explain this thing? In the hard sayings of the Bible, you'll see uh, uh, um, Numbers 22 there. And part of the explanation goes like this. Well, he really wasn't a prophet of God. He was a prophet of a little G God. But you can't miss it. It actually says that he listened to the Lord. Yahweh, Jehovah, that's who he went to. So it's pretty hard to get around that one. It's not like he was a bad guy or in defense of some, some uh, uh, idol of some sort. No, he actually was listening to the Lord, it says in the text in verse 9. And then the other possibility is, well, it was conditional and it was kind of, there was a, there's an if clause in this, if they come back and, and uh, you know, but at the end of the day, you're still left with this thing that says, you know what, None of those explanations really helped me get past the general confusion about a God who says one thing one moment and, and does something that I don't understand then next. And we would say, if I'm going to follow you, God, I've got to understand you. I mean, what's wrong with that? God, if you want me to follow you, I need to understand you. Doesn't that make sense? And yet here in this story, 
God says, Really? You will only follow me if you understand me? Is that what it comes down to? You got to understand. If I'm going to follow you, I've got to understand you. And God says to you and me, do you really? And here comes the first question. When God seems confusing, will you still trust him? When God seems nothing but a puzzle, will you still trust him with your life? You see, if we think we have to understand him, we're not going to get very far with this God. You go to the book of Job, and Job and his friends are trying to figure out what in the world it was that happened with Job, and they come up with all of these explanations, and you get towards the end of it. You get towards the end of it, and, Job, and, and finally God speaks, and God says, you, you are clueless in regards to who I am. Chapter 38 and 39, he just goes on this, on this uh, 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 statement of who he is. Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Do you really need to know everything in order to follow me? And what is the way to the boat of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. I mean, you can pick up even the sarcasm in that, can't you? I mean, God's just saying to us, friend, if you think you've got to figure it all out, if you've got to know the way I think and what I do to trust me, this is never going to work. Even Paul, this brilliant scholar, in the end of Romans chapter 11, how unsearchable his judgments and paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of God or who has been his counselor? If I think I must know what he's doing in order to follow him, I will not get where he wants me to go. This isn't God saying to you, just turn your mind off. Seniors graduate and they go to college or go into the workplace in some place. They're going to be faced with all kinds of questions. All kinds of questions that confuse them about God. It's not just turn your mind off, but, and, but, it, but it's dig deep. I mean, God gave us a mind. Work a little harder. Dig a little deeper. But don't miss what does make sense. In the midst of all of the things that don't make sense, don't miss the thing that does make sense. And it is this, God says, I will lead you and I will love you. That's it. That's what makes sense. Even when everything else about God might seem incredibly confusing, know this as you dig deeper and ask all of your questions and live by it. I will lead you and I will love you. I will lead you, and I will love you. We never even figure this out. There's no answer at the end of the story. It's just right there, a God who seems to be so confusing and yet calls his children to still trust him. Well, the story goes on, and the surprise here 
is more than about God's behavior, apparent shift of direction or whatever it is that confuses us about what's going on and what he's doing. It's, it's more than the behavior of God. It's the circumstances of, uh, of that, that Balaam walks into, rides into actually on a donkey. And he rides along and he thinks he's doing exactly what God wants him to do. And he just gets stopped at every turn. It, it just, it's all going wrong. We read the text earlier in verses 23 and 24 and 25 and 26 and 27. This is a messed up trip. Everything is upside down. Everything is not going the way it's supposed to go. And so anger wells up in Balaam and I don't blame him. I mean, I've been, I've been in traffic trying to get someplace and missing a deadline and I've just wanted to... I, I've, I've actually pounded my steering wheel. And I have my own catalog of curse words there. Okay, I guess. But they just come popping right out. You know, in the midst of everything going wrong, messed up, not according to plans, just driving me crazy, frustrated, it is so easy to get angry. And why should we be surprised that that's exactly what's happening with Balaam here? These whole circumstances, they just seem, I am just so absolutely confused. And we get to the second question. The first question is this. When, when God seems confusing, will you trust him? The second question is this. When life seems confusing, will you look for him? When life seems confusing, will you look for him? You know, here Balaam is, he leaves behind, you know, his place of worship and God's spoken to him there and said go and he's on his way and he's going to set up camp there and ask for God to speak to him again. But in the middle of it, it's just a mess and uh, he's not even thinking about anything except how, how angry he is with how badly things are going and God suddenly shows up and lets him know, I'm here. Actually, I'm even, uh, I'm even involved. When, when, when life seems confusing, will you still look for him? Will you see God in the out-of-the-ordinary circumstances, the unscripted messes? Is it possible for you to realize that God is actually there in them? When everything in your life is upside down, unexpected circumstances do not mean an uninvolved Savior. Unexpected circumstances do not imply an uninvolved Savior. So perhaps God's call for you is to calculate what's going on in the midst of circumstances and then ask God to show you that he's there. He does that. He does it here. My life was supposed to be going differently than this, Balaam says, and we say, God, where are you? Are you anywhere? And God opens Balaam's eyes and he is able to see what is actually happening around him. That's a legit prayer request. In the middle of everything messed up and upside down and filled with frustration, God, would you just open my eyes? Just give me a capacity to glimpse that you're here with me in the middle of it. When my life seems confusing, will I still look for him? And the story goes on, and 
we hear a little bit more about what this trip looked like. It wasn't an easy trip. It was actually filled with pain. He crushes his foot. Isn't it interesting in the story that they give that detail? He's walking along and the donkey pushes to the side of a wall in a vineyard and his foot is crushed. And then he's going along and, 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 and the angel hampers his way and the donkey just lays down. And you can, I, I, who knows whether Balaam was, how much of Balaam's body was under the donkey. But I mean, this is a messed up, um, uh, uh, hurt, pain-filled journey that uh, is, is uh, pain-induced, uh, pain-induces anger. And, and you know, here's the thing about it. It was easier when he could have just blamed the pain on a rogue donkey. But God just said he was there. I mean, get that. I mean, it was nice when I could just blame it on external circumstances that God was oblivious to. I mean, that's okay. I can live with that. But when you tell me you're there, what does that mean? You were there when my foot was crushed against the wall. You were there when I was crushed. I'm okay with it when it's some rogue circumstance, but now you're telling me you were actually there? Think about your life and those stories of pain. And now think about it, realizing that God actually was right there in the middle of it. And that question that just, just comes out. <laughs> you were there? And you let it happen? What does it mean to figure out a God like that? And while one is faced with the questions, what will I do? And we see what Balaam does. Verse 31, he gets down on his knees and he bows before the Lord. He shows reverence to God. And he exhibits gratefulness for God's protection although not what he expected from the angel. And then the question comes, when the journey is marked by pain, will you still praise him? When the journey is marked by pain, will I still praise him? It's more difficult when God reveals that he's there in the midst of pain. But you see Balaam kneeling down with a crushed foot and perhaps crushed limbs, this is not a pain-free position either. It's not a pain-free posture to kneel when your body is broken. And yet that's exactly what Balaam did. In the midst of the pain, he got on his knees and worshipped his Lord. This happens over and over again with God's people. I was in a home where a husband, father was on his last hours of life. We all knew it and his wife was there and it was, it was, it was bitter and crushing for them. And we went out to the kitchen table and we sat down and I asked the wife, how are you doing? And she quoted word for word, these words from Habakkuk, 
Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the field produces no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I will be joyful in God my Savior. When the journey is marked by pain, will I still praise him? Through the words of Job too, Job chapter 15, Job chapter 13, verse 15, Job says, though he slay me, and, and he wasn't, Job didn't understand it, but nevertheless, these were his words, though he slay me, yet will I put my hope in him. These are not naive people that choose to praise God and worship him. These are not weak-minded people that are praising God. These are people who, in the midst of the pain and circumstances of life, exhibit deep and directed regard for God. Worship like that. And the story of God's people is stories of people over and over again who in the midst of a life that's filled with confusion, in the midst of a life that is filled with pain, crushing pain, have the capacity to get down on their knees and praise him. There's one more question in the text, and it comes in God's call to Balaam. And the question is this. In the midst of all of that, all of the confusion, all the crushing pain, will you listen and obey? This was the imperative that God gave to Balaam even as he started his journey in verse 20. Go with them, but do only what I tell you. In verse 38, Balaam says, Well, I've come to you now, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Chapter, 20, verse, chapter 23, verse 20, he says this, I have received a command from God to bless. He has blessed, and I can't change that. Whatever he says, I will say. Chapter 23, verse 26, Balaam answered, Did I not tell you I must do whatever the Lord says? Chapter 24, verse 13 even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. I must say only what the Lord says. Now this is a person who doesn't understand God, who doesn't understand his circumstances, and is filled with pain in his life, and he says, here's what I will do. I will listen to what my Father says to me, and I will follow it. And that's the last question for us. Will you, will I, listen and obey? Now, in this story, the next chapter is about Balaam's demise and his failure to follow through, but that's not the story for us. The story for us is what is it going to look for us as we move forward? Are we willing to continue to live with a resolve in the midst of what we don't understand about God in the midst of what we can't figure out about our circumstances, in the midst of the pain caused by both of those, to listen to the Lord and follow him. 
And the end of that path, we know because we've seen it in the lives of others, is a path that is, is filled with faithfulness, with impact, with fruitfulness, and with devotion to God. I want to be that person. I want that for our young people. I want that for all of us to listen and obey. If there's a phrase that you can take with us, you that will help you with this, it's this, though confused or crushed, I will continue to trust. Though confused or crushed, I will continue to trust. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much that you are this God, a God that is so big and complex that we will never be able to fathom who you are. Yet you love us and you lead us. And dear God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage and the faith to follow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.